0: Several years ago, Julie and I fulfilled a long-time dream, and we took our family to Great Britain and Europe for an extended vacation. On one leg of that trip, we were staying in a small rural village in southwestern England in a little country bed and breakfast. We were there for several days, and we got to know the innkeepers, and they were absolutely delightful people, very fun, very friendly, very entertaining, and very happy to help a couple of uh, Americans who were very out of place figure out how to navigate our way around. Well, as we were beginning to wrap up that stay on our trip, the next leg on our trip was uh, involving going over the border into Wales, and we were going to spend a couple days there, and I happened to mention that to the innkeeper. Now, this man was very interesting. He he and his wife had spent most of their life in London. He was a high-ranking business professional. He had taken early retirement, and they'd moved to to this rural village, and so in their retirement, they were running this bed and breakfast. So, I mentioned to this man, hey, we're going to be heading over to Wales tomorrow. And in a very matter-of-fact voice, here's what this man said to me. I don't know why any decent human being would waste time going to Wales. The Welsh are dirty and disgusting people and their country is a dirty and disgusting little backwater. You will just be wasting your time. Well, we didn't follow that advice. We went to Wales and had a delightful visit. But Julie and I were shocked that this highly educated Englishman held such disdainful, disrespectful views of the Welsh such open prejudice. Now we know enough history to know that the animosities between the English and the Welsh started centuries ago. But it was painful to realize that for this man and as we learned throughout our trip for many other Englishmen like him, those ancient hatreds still ran hot and deep. And sadly What he expressed is a part of the human condition. Because the history, the story of the human race is filled with stories just like that. Stories of this group of people who look down on and hate and despise another group of people. It's part of who we are and what we do because we are damaged by sin. And that same kind of group animosity underlies much of the story of the Bible, unfortunately, and we see it even among God's chosen people. God called the Jewish people to himself. And they were to model godliness by living as a distinct community, a community that radiated godliness and holiness, they were to be distinctly different from the non-Jews who were called Gentiles. But the Jews went farther than God intended and they turned their distinction from the Gentiles into disgust of the Gentiles. It's no surprise then that the Gentiles responded by developing a deep disgust of the Jews Hatred, animosity, division between Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles. And that was the condition of the world into which Jesus Christ entered. And he did not come to support nor sustain those divisions, but to heal them, to eradicate them. He came to take away that kind of hostility and to pave the way so that there could be, in fact, peace among all people. Jesus' goal was and is to draw all people to himself. And then through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to help us lay aside our very human divisions and hatreds so we can be reconciled to one another. Jesus came so we could experience the richness of reconciliation. First and foremost, reconciliation with God as Jesus takes our sins away. And then as Jesus and the Holy Spirit transform us, we can be reconciled to each other. And this is the issue that the Apostle Paul now addresses as he moves on in his letter to the believers in Ephesus. And we have a situation where Paul, a Jewish follower of Jesus, is writing to Gentile followers of Jesus. Now that's a relationship where the seeds of animosity easily could take root and bloom. Yet Paul will not let that happen. He wants his brothers and sisters in the faith these Gentile Christians in Ephesus, to know that all ethnic and cultural hatred should be laid to rest at the foot of the cross. Regardless of our backgrounds, when we become followers of Jesus, we can overcome the divisions and conflicts of the past. We can be reconciled to others. We can live in unity with people who are very, very different from us. And yet if we want to be unified as followers of Jesus we first need to understand exactly how and why we were separated. And that's where Paul begins this particular passage of Scripture talking about the issue of being separated from God and separated from God's people. So let's see what we can learn and apply to our own lives starting in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, Paul writes, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, this is the believers in in Ephesus, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world." It was a time when the Ephesians lived without any spiritual hope. You see, before Jesus came on the scene, the Gentiles were completely separated from God because they were separated from God's people. They were not part of Israel, so they were not directly included in God's promises. As we saw in chapter 1, God always works through a special group of people called a covenant group. And God's covenant group, his chosen people, those are the ones who God trusts to hold on to his truth and on his promises and live them out. Before Jesus, the Jews were the keeper of the covenant. Today, the Church of Jesus Christ is the keeper of the covenant. Here's the problem though. God's covenant people aren't supposed to keep God's truth a secret. But we often do when we turn inward, instead of doing what God wants, which is to share it with those outside and draw them into God's embrace. And tragically, in the days before Jesus, the Jews didn't reach out much and instead of drawing Gentiles in, they pushed them away and they exacerbated their divisions with the Gentiles by arrogantly parading their special spiritual status. And in particular, as Paul references here, the Jews practiced the ritual of circumcision. This was a sign given to them by God that they belonged to God. And so they routinely referred to the non-Jews as the uncircumcised, which was intended to be an insult to the Gentiles as people not worthy of God's time and attention. And the idea was this, hey, we've got God's sign in our bodies. What do you have? nothing because God doesn't really care about you. This was one of the many ways that the Jewish people showed disdain for others who weren't like them. Here's two other examples. Jews routinely called Gentiles dogs. Dogs. That's a real term of endearment, isn't it? And how about this one? If a Jew married a Gentile, his family would hold a funeral to mourn his death. Those things are pretty harsh. And they're indications that you think that other group of people is subhuman. And for these reasons and more, there was a huge spiritual, cultural, and relational gulf between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so the tragic result is that the Gentiles were separated from God and God's people were helping to maintain that separation. Yet that's not what God wanted. Not at all. And one vivid example of that is because of a place in the Jewish temple called the Court of the Gentiles. This was a special area designated for non-Jews, for outsiders. God wanted the Jews to set aside that space so unbelievers who were spiritually curious could come into the temple and could ask questions about God and listen to learned Jewish teachers talk about God. Over time though, the Jews turned that court into a place of business not a place of sharing God's message. There were tables there for money changing, there were were vendors there selling sacrificial animals and people came in to buy their lambs for for sacrificing. And so the Jewish people stopped using the court for God's purposes because they had little spiritual interest in the well-being of Gentiles. The Gentiles are separate good, let's keep them separate. In the book of Mark, chapter 11, there's a well-known story about Jesus going into the temple and overturning the tables of the money changers and driving out the people who are buying and selling. And you know where in the temple Jesus did that? He did it in the court of the Gentiles. And as he did those things, he told the crowd, God's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. Because God's heart is that all people would have the opportunity to learn about him and to know him and to be reconciled to him and then to be reconciled to each other. And so by the time of Jesus, if a Gentile happened to wander into the temple and wander into the court that was supposed to be for them to learn about God, they probably wouldn't hear about God. And if they wandered out of the court of the Gentiles and tried to go deeper into the temple, they encountered a wall with inscriptions like this. No foreigner may enter. Anyone caught doing so will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. Wow. That's not exactly an invitation to reconciliation, is it? Now, to help us feel the impact of that kind of threat, let's set it into modern terms. Imagine you were an unbeliever, didn't know anything about Jesus, but you got spiritually curious and you wanted to know about him. You said, I'll check out the church. I'll I'll wander into Thurston Christian Church. And you come into the lobby, and on the door, going into this auditorium, there's a big no trespassing sign. And that sign includes a death threat for any non-Christian who enters into here. If we behaved like that, why would anyone want to get to know us or the God we worship? Because we're not promoting reconciliation. We're promoting separation. And we need to understand how close reconciliation is to the heart of our God. So when people are separated from him, he does not want us to despise them. He wants us to welcome them. So hopefully, as they learn about God, they'll make the choice to become a follower of Jesus. This issue is really close to my own heart because of my own upbringing and spiritual journey. I think I've told you that I grew up in a, a loving home, but it wasn't a Christian home. Nobody talked about faith. We didn't go to church. I had no spiritual role models in my life. None! But there was a point in my late teen years when I got spiritually curious and I started to search for God. I wanted to know, is there a God? And If there is a God, does He want to know me? Does He care about me? Is there a spiritual plan and a spiritual pathway? there was nobody in my family to answer those questions or to guide me. And so here's the analogy. I was raised like the Gentiles of Paul's day. I was not part of God's covenant people. I was outside the blessings of God. But I wasn't excluded if God's people welcomed me in. Because God's covenant people, the church, the keeper of the promises, has an obligation to share those things and to invite outsiders like I used to be in. And I'm so thankful that I had friends and neighbors who were followers of Jesus, who got concerned about me and who lovingly came alongside me and helped welcome me into the sphere of the church. I could learn about Jesus. I could come to understand that I was a sinner who needed the Savior. And I could make that decision to repent and be baptized and become a follower of Jesus. And that started me on a spiritual trajectory that has changed my life. But I have often reflected back on that season and asked myself this question. What would have happened if I would have been treated with disdain by Christians? What if Christians would have said, oh, that Bruce, he's an ungodly man. He's a sinner. He's an inferior person. He's not fit to be around. We don't want him hanging out with us because he might influence us in a bad way. If God's people would have disparaged me and shunned me instead of welcoming me, I think it's highly likely that I would not be a Christian today, but God's people invited me into the arms of God's reconciling love. Oh, there is a world around us that so desperately needs Jesus, and they may never hear about him unless you and I take God's message of reconciling love with us wherever we go. And so it's vital for us as God's covenant people not to make the same mistake that our spiritual ancestors did. To not follow the pattern of the Jews and to keep outsiders separated from God. Instead, we can welcome them in and hopefully they will be reconciled to God and experience His goodness. And that is what happened to the Gentiles in Ephesus. And so a church was formed there out of believers. People who were welcomed in and who experienced the transforming power of God. And that's where Paul turns his attention next in this passage, he talks about the transformation of some of these Ephesians from separated people to reconciled people because they became followers of Jesus Christ. Let's continue on. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off, you Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, our, Jews and Gentiles, he is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God. Jews and Gentiles, reconciled to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Oh, I I love this passage of Scripture, it is so rich. And as we read these words, let's remember that the man who wrote them had once been a devout Jew who hated Gentiles, and that's not an over-exaggeration. He hated Gentiles and he persecuted Christians. And now he says to these Gentile Christians in Ephesus, oh, we're at peace with one another. How can he do that? How can he let go? of that previous deep-seated animosity toward Gentiles. And we need to remember that that animosity wasn't personal in the sense that it came from within him. It, it was something that was shaped by his religion and his culture. It was hatred directed from one group of people to another group of people, and often that's the, kindest, the hardest kind of hate to let go of. Group hatred our group hating your group. Paul only can say this and live it out because he's had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit who came to live within Paul, God has taken away Paul's hate and prejudice and his anger and disgust and he's replaced it with a sincere, godly love for people who are extremely different from him. Jesus can do the same thing for you and me. He wants to remove the hostility that might exist in our hearts and lives so we can coexist with all other Christians. So we can be reconciled to anyone that God might want to draw into his family. And that's why Paul writes in verse 14 about the dividing wall being torn down. It's a reference to that wall I mentioned earlier, that wall standing between the court of the Gentiles and the rest of the temple. That wall which said to non-Jews, you can't come in here. That wall which said to Gentiles, you're going to die if you go past this point. When Jesus went to the cross, he symbolically tore down that wall. Because Jesus says to everyone, you're welcome in God's house. Because God's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. Everyone gets to come in and learn about God. And everyone who makes the choice to become a follower of Jesus gets to be part of God's family. And Paul wants us to know that the the wall was symbolically torn down because Jesus completed and fulfilled every aspect of the the Jewish law. That law with its rules and its regulations, it was fulfilled so it was done with. It It had no further purpose so God made it obsolete. And this symbolic tearing down of the wall of division became a physical reality in the year 70 AD when the Jewish temple was destroyed by the invading Romans and the Jewish temple ceased to exist. You see, God has removed the wall of separation forever. Because Jesus is our peace. His death and His resurrection sets us free from the sins of hate and hostility. And so when we follow Jesus and submit our hearts and minds to Him, we can live in peace with God and peace with others. Even with others who are not at all like us. One of the reasons this can happen is because of what Paul says here. He wants us to know that when we become a follower of Jesus, we participate in an act of new creation. You see, when when the gospel went out to the Gentiles, God didn't just take those Gentiles and merge them into Judaism, God did something new. God created a new person called a Christian. the way Paul says it is he created, God created one new man out of the two. Jews and Gentiles. No. Christians. And by the way, when Paul says new, he means completely, totally, brand spanking new. You see, the Greek language, which is the original language of the New Testament, actually has two different words for new. And one of those Greek words describes a new version of something that already exists. We've all had the experience, probably most of us have, of going down to the car lot and buying a new car. If I go and buy a new Jeep, it's new to me, but the Jeep isn't new. Jeeps have been around for decades. There's millions of Jeeps in existence. And cars aren't new. Cars have been around for a century so what's new to me is not necessarily brand new from the standpoint of creation. Paul uses a different word for new here. He's describing something that never previously existed. You see, he wants the Ephesians to know that when they said yes to Jesus, the result was something completely new and different in the world. Something that never existed before. Christians. And guess what? The Jews, God's chosen people, people who had faithfully followed the law, the law had become obsolete, and when Jews said yes to Jesus, God birthed something new in them. They became Christians. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. God does it with gentiles and he does it with Jews. He forms us into this new kind of person which means that with whatever our other differences we all have Jesus in common. And when we surrender to Jesus he enables us to surrender our hate and to experience the richness of reconciliation and to live in peace with one another. That's the foundation God was laying 2,000 years ago when He equipped Jews and Gentiles to be reconciled. That's what we're reading about here in Ephesians and yet we need to realize that there are so many other barriers and walls of hostility that we put up in this world. And when we understand that Gentiles is a term that covers all of the non-Jewish peoples and we realize that we have all of our own kinds of divisions within the Gentile world that we need to eradicate. Like for example the division between the English and the Welsh that I mentioned at the start of the message. Oh, there is deep-seated stuff there. But if an English person and a Welsh person become Christians, then God can take their hate away. They can be one new person in Christ and live in unity. And we need to believe that this reconciliation can happen between all kinds of different groups of people. It can happen. It has happened. It will happen if we follow Jesus. It can happen between Germans and Russians. It can happen between Chinese and Taiwanese. It can happen between tribal groups in Africa who have been warring with each other for centuries. It can happen between blacks and whites. It can happen between Mexicans and Chileans and Nicaraguans. Those all are groups who find it so easy to be hostile to one another. when we come together through Jesus, we can live in harmony. And just as the Jews and Gentiles were learning to do that in Paul's day, we also can be unified in our day as one people. And that's how Paul wraps up this particular passage. He points us toward God's goal. The goal of a unified community of faith, built around our common identity as followers of Jesus Christ. Let's continue on in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Unity. Oneness. It really does change everything. When I perform a wedding ceremony, I often talk about the fact that God takes a man and a woman, two strangers of different sexes, and he forms them into an entity that he calls One Flesh. And so I often tell couples that because of their marriage, there now is a new identity they must learn to deal with, and here's how I describe that. In my marriage, there's Bruce, and then there's Julie, and there's us. And sometimes it's right for me to say, Well, in this moment, what's best for Bruce? Other times, it's right to say, what's best for Julie? A whole lot of times, I need to say, what's best for us? As we're going to see later in the book of Ephesians, the marriage relationship serves as a model of the relationship between Jesus and his church. So in the church, just as in marriage, we must learn to move beyond thinking only about me and you. We must learn to think about us, the church. and We must learn to ask what's best for us and what is it that God is asking us to do to follow Jesus and to radiate His love and reconciliation to the world. And when we understand the diversity, the breadth and depth of God's church, then we understand that unity as the church is impossible without reconciliation. It's rather interesting, there's no single worldwide organization called the Church of Jesus Christ. God's people worship and serve under many different organizational labels. But the fact is, the universal, global Church of Jesus Christ is the largest voluntary association of people in the world. Which means then that we, the church, are a richly diverse group of people. And because of Jesus we are not aliens and strangers to God and we are not aliens and strangers to each other. Paul says we are fellow citizens, we are all part of God's household and together we are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And this means that we are part of a church which consists of people of different races and ethnicities, people from different nations people who are different socioeconomically, yet we're not primarily defined by those things. Those other, th- other things, those are the things that we often get divided about. But Paul tells us that there's this us, and as us, we're Christians, one new person, We're followers of Jesus, we're children of God, we're citizens of God's kingdom. And that identity and that relationship transcends all other labels and all other relationships. But we're only gonna be able to achieve that and live it out together if we embrace the richness of God's gift of reconciliation. And humanly speaking, oh, we know we fall short of that so often. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, We can live in peace with each other. And we know that's what Jesus wants. And we know that's what we're going to experience in eternity. Listen to these words from the book of Revelation about what the future kingdom of God is going to look like. Revelations chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. The apostle John writes in this vision of heaven, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the unity that awaits. And in heaven we're gonna be perfectly reconciled. There won't be any divisions But you know what? I think sometimes we put up with our earthly divisions because we say, well, we can't get there till heaven. That awaits, but we got to deal with life as it is. Yes, we have to deal with life as it is. But Jesus says, I want to help you move beyond hate and beyond prejudice and be reconciled. And if God's people can't be reconciled, how can we help the world be reconciled? And Here's the reality, we can start to experience this now. Here's an example. I have a friend who is the pastor of a church in downtown L.A. He planted that church probably about 15 years ago. His journey is interesting. He's Korean. He was an attorney and God called him out of his legal practice to become a pastor and he lived and worked in downtown L.A. and the vision was, I want to plant a church in L.A. for L.A. that looks like L.A. and reaches L.A. And if you've ever spent any time in downtown L.A., it is incredibly diverse. And by God's grace, that vision has become a reality. And so this Korean pastor didn't plant a church for Koreans. He planted a church for L.A. And so he's Asian and about 25% of his church is Asian. About 25% of it is black. About 25% of it is Hispanic. And about 25% white. Isn't that amazing? Incredible diversity. That church is not just racially diverse, it is socioeconomically diverse. There's people who are active members of that church who live on Skid Row. There's people in that church who live in very high priced lofts in downtown LA and pull down major six figure incomes. And those people stand next to each other on Sunday morning and they worship Jesus. There's people in that church who are politically liberal, and there's people in that church who are politically conservative. From a human perspective, how can a group like that even exist? From a human perspective, the people that come to that church each and every week have all kinds of human reasons to look down on each other, to despise each other, to disparage each other, or at the very least to have incredible arguments with each other. And some of the ethnic groups that are part of that church, those groups have deep-seated hatreds of one another that go back centuries, but they are learning day by day. And week by week, how to leave those things at the foot of the cross and embrace the reality that Jesus has made one new person here. We're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. We've been reconciled to God. We can and will be reconciled to each other. And we will live together in peace and we will worship and we will serve. And we will watch God work in our midst to help us be a peaceful, vibrant, loving community. And I have to tell you, what that church models is so inviting to outsiders. People separated from God see that happening, and they say, how can that happen? And they say, we didn't do it. We didn't do it, God did it. And they say, God has freed us from hate and released us to love. Oh, there is richness in reconciliation. I visited that church on a Sunday morning several times and each time I do, I feel like I'm getting this small little sneak preview of heaven. And I'm reminded that we don't have to start waiting for heaven to begin building the kingdom of God. Now admittedly, we don't have the kind of ethnic diversity here in our community that they have in L.A. But I would bet, if we're honest, in our heart of hearts, some of, us ha- some of us have our own dividing walls of hostility. And we can lay those down. And we can ask God to help us live in peace. So that we... Thurston Christian Church, part of God's global church. That we can live in peace with one another as the unified church of Jesus Christ. That we can partner with other churches in the community and not have barriers against them, recognizing that everyone who follows Jesus is part of his church. What Paul... As just described here in Ephesians is truly a radical transformation. It's one that actually changed the trajectory of human history. The division between Jews and Gentiles was so deep it was one of the most bitter ethnic hatreds of all time and it was healed by Jesus. And because human beings are human, We don't always make the changes God wants us to make easily. And all you have to do is read through the book of Acts and you read about Jews and Gentiles learning to get along together and it wasn't all easy. (laughs) There were bumps along the way, sometimes some severe bumps. But these two groups that previously despised each other learned to love each other. To support each other and pray for each other and accept each other as equals before God. If God can heal that rift, if He can remove that kind of hatred from people's hearts, if the Holy Spirit can change the Apostle Paul so He's willing to live in peace with the Ephesians, then He can heal whatever animosity you and I might have towards some other group. And so I think this passage invites us to do some personal reflection. To say, as the psalmist says, search my heart, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Do we have any resentment toward any other group of people? Maybe it's a particular racial group. Maybe it's the homeless. Maybe it's a particular political group or a particular... Socioeconomic group. But you know what I've found in my life? Every group, rich or poor, liberal or conservative, house to run house, every group has people in it who are followers of Jesus, and every group has people in it who are very far from God. And so we don't categorize and classify and write off people because they happen to be part of some group that we've put a label on. So this morning, let's ask God to help us lay aside any dislike we might have for those who are different from us, particularly within God's church. Let's ask God to give us a fresh ability to love others as He loves them. If there's any divisions between us, and I'm not saying this because I think there are. I don't know what's in your heart. I only know what's in mine. (laughs) But with the help of the Holy Spirit, Let's learn to live in peace with God and with each other. And then as a unified church living in peace, let's be welcoming to all of those who don't yet know Jesus. If someone searching for God should walk in this door on a Sunday morning and they're not like us in any way, shape, or form, I hope we would roll out the welcome mat and say come on in we're glad you're here to learn about Jesus because we want to share with you God's reconciling love that happens at the cross. Let's be a church that fully embraces and lives out the richness of reconciliation that only can be found the Lord Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Father, a message like this just reminds me about my own humanity, my own weaknesses, my own shortcomings. And we have to admit that it is so easy to be critical of others. It's so easy to fall into the trap of disliking people who are different from us, and that certainly is the story of the Jews and the Gentiles. Help us never to follow that kind of path. And I pray, Father, if any of us this morning are carrying with us the seeds of division, the seeds of of hostility, oh, may we just release those to you so we can live in unity as your church. And Father, as we experience unity, as you set us free from disdain and discord, as you set us free into love, then help us to radiate that love outside this community of faith. And when we see people who are separate from you, we would not follow the path of our spiritual ancestors and keep them separate, but we'd welcome them in so they can find their way to Jesus. Help us, Father, to be people who desire to increase the citizenship of heaven by loving others as you love us. And may we never forget that when we became followers of Jesus, He did something brand new. He formed us into one. And may our unity in and through you be the most important thing in our lives.